politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready once again to fight for our liberties. You got to do it on your own because nobody is going to help you. We are here to be your guiding light um, to try to create some sort of modicum of a plan. Those of you, as I warned, that were counting on the courts to save us, it's not going to happen. Obviously, I am fit to be tied today on this Friday, January 14th. By the way, the day the Treaty of Paris was signed, the end of the Revolutionary War, whereas we have not even embarked upon ours. Although it is a one-sided war, we just haven't responded yet. Now, I guess you could say that indeed Brett Kavanaugh is a rapist. No, not the crazy alleged story that they drummed up about him. That it obviously isn't true. I mean a rapist of our Constitution. I warned you guys back in the day when everyone was sitting and going gaga over him that like most GOP appointees, he was horrible. And we see that. And again, we see that even from from Barrett too. Obviously, we had yesterday uh, the Supreme Court upheld the CMS mandate, at least refused to enjoin it. And... You know, a lot of conservatives are gaga over the decision on OSHA, the OSHA mandate, and I'm thinking, like, they don't get it. The Overton window has moved over so much that now we're we're happy, oh, at least we don't get to rape you to this degree. Remember, that was the lowest hanging fruit. Uh, you know, a non-congressional body, an executive agency at the federal level reaching over into private business. They always knew that was never going to stand, which is why they bit off more than they can chew. But the reality is the notion that the state governments could do this to you, the notion that the feds could work with social media and the private sector to essentially get them to do it on their own, that is still there. That's number one. Number two, even at the federal level, even without Congress, even executively, CMS could still force it on the entire healthcare sector. That's the worst area to do it. The most dramatic consequences, obviously the shortages of people, the the lack of care, the culture that it's going to induce in our businesses, in, in our hospitals to make the current culture even worse of apartheid and discrimination. So what are people doing about that? That's what I want to delve into a little bit today. We don't have any justice. We don't have any rule of law. It's over. So we're going to start off with the COVID fascism aspect, and then we're going to move into policing and racism. Because basically everything now is race. If you're white, you don't have the right to self-defense. And uh, criminal law is decided based on race. And bodily integrity is decided also based on the political views of tyrants. Facts don't matter. Equality under law don't matter anymore. Now, today's sponsor, Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian, uh, conservative, pro-American, pro-family wireless provider. Part of why we have such a hard time divorcing from the system is because they control everything. They control major goods goods and services for things that you need. Well, at least when it comes to mobile coverage, um, 
your phone, you could choose Patriot Mobile. They have the broadest nationwide coverage. You use the same towers as all the major carriers, so you can get the same great service. Um, 100% based U.S. customer service team, so you actually get someone on the phone who speaks English. More importantly, they actually donate to causes that support religious freedom and the Constitution. Go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with the offer code CR. Uh, they also have special discounts for veterans and first responders. Again, that's patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. So I want to unpack this here. Um, you know, what's interesting is even with the majority opinion, six to three, going after the OSHA mandate, this is the private businesses, Amy Barrett still wouldn't sign, sign on to Gorsuch's concurrence, which was at least broader, meaning his concurrence was basically the non-delegation doctrine that, look, when you have something that is of major importance and major impact to the public, you can't have an executive agency out of nowhere doing it. At least it has to be done by Congress. And even that much, Amy Barrett wouldn't sign on to. You know, specifically, she felt the OSHA one was, you know, crossed the line. Um, and, and she would have voted for the CMS one, too. But it's interesting, she wouldn't even sign on to that concurrence. But the point is, if you look at what's going on, even the victory was so narrow. Again, everyone is agreeing, your body, the government's choice. Okay, there's, there's different rungs on the ladder. There's a legislative body of the state, then the executive of the state, then there's Congress at a federal level, and then there's the federal executive branch. So at least the federal executive branch to the private sector, that was the one they, they shot down. But even then, for the CMS mandate, no, they didn't because of Kavanaugh and Roberts. And look, we still have the private contractor one outstanding. We don't know how that's going to go. But the point is, this is what I've been screaming from the rooftops. That governors and legislatures need to fight this. I'm sick of hearing like, oh, what are we going to do, Daniel? You know, even if you tell the hospitals they can't, but the feds are saying they, they're going to take away Medicare, Medicaid funding. That's a lot more money. We don't really have much we can do. That's bull. Okay, don't tell me that Biden with a 33% approval rating and we have the facts on our side. It's illogical. They're out and sick in these hospitals because all the vaccinated people are getting it. They literally have a policy now where if you're vaccinated but you have COVID, you can come into work. But if you're healthy and you don't, even though if you already have natural immunity, you can't. How hard is it to get 20 Republican governors to meet at a conference, meet in Miami, have the Miami Declaration, and you have a press conference? And you go through the fact pattern. You go through the facts. You go through the harm, the illogical nature of what's going on. And you say, we are not doing this. We're going to bar the hospitals from doing this in our states. We're going to subject them to liability without any caps. See, that's how you get them back. Well, the feds are saying, I have to do it. Okay. But then you have workplace injury liability. So if someone gets injured by the shot, guess what? You There's a cause of action, and we're going to help fund it. Okay. And they know more than anyone, believe me, in the hospital, whether they're, they're willing to admit it or not, they know that the injuries are, are all over the place. 
But but here's where we are. The notion that any body of government could force upon you or essentially box you out of a job for not getting something that the federals, their own system, admits there's over a million adverse reactions and 21,000 deaths and as an underreporting factor of 41, according to a Harvard study, right? So the notion that they could do that to your body when there is no logical argument that it affects another human being, and in fact, that all evidence shows that it spreads it more? How could states not fight that? And no, it doesn't mean in the courts. It means you rise up. Carrot and stick, I would offer to pay the fines with state funding, federal fines, but then subject them to any liability. Oh, man, but they're going to cut off Medicare, Medicaid. Really? You get 20 states together, they're going to be able to declare war on half the country, Medicare and Medicaid, cut it off? If they articulated, the guy has a 33% approval rating. In the red states we're talking about, it's probably like 15, 20%. But they won't do anything. The Republicans love what went on in the courts. This is exactly what they wanted. They get to say, look, there's nothing we can do about CMS. We're glad we got OSHA. You know, all these uh, attorneys general and governors get to thump their chest. We we won that. And again, that was never going to stand. That was never going to stand. They always bit off more than they can chew on purpose. That's what the left does smartly. They start negotiations asking more than what they want. The CMS thing is devastating. It is as illogical as it is immoral. But facts don't matter. Kavanaugh, it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable that an executive agency could do that. But then again, it's unbelievable that Congress could do that. And again, if you say you're not going to hire someone because they have HIV, we have all sorts of laws against that. You have to have equality under the law. And you can't discriminate against someone based on medical choices they make, much less if they don't make a dangerous one. I mean... What would happen if they all of a sudden said, like, look, you know, we're not going to treat people in the hospital if they take drugs, which that straight up is self-immolation, straight up doesn't need to happen. And, you know, you go to any hospital, a good percentage of the ERs are flooded with people constantly taking drugs, often the same people coming back. And yet that would never stand. And you're telling me You can't just live your life normally. You have to affirmatively inject something in your body that is known to be dangerous, wasn't studied long-term, have so many safety problems, 21,000 deaths reported in an underreporting system, and somehow this is a victory? Are you kidding me? This is insane. This is Nazi Germany. And remember, we say, oh, like, uh, it's good America's not like Europe. Are you kidding me? Every major city now has a vaccine passport. What we thought would never happen is happening in front of our eyes. D.C., Boston, New York, Chicago, I mean, all these places. And if we're at the point where we're going to say, yeah, you know, blue cities, you're you're pretty much done. You know, it's not just that they're going to be kind of high tax, high crime, crappy places to live, but you literally don't have the right to your body. And again, it's not just the right to your body. That would be if they would inject something innocuous into you. This is the, They're killing you. But fine, you don't have that right. Go to a red state. Oh, whoops. 
every hospital, every, everyone in the medical industry, anyone in the military, anyone who's a federal worker. And then believe me, you're going to have other industries too. When Biden says he's going to work with social media to censor people, Really? So so I, I would hope all these quasi-libertarian arguments about the private sector being able to do what they want, that that finally goes out the window. Right? Remember, even, even the um, OSHA ruling, all that means is that the feds can't force them to do it. But they could kind of force them to do it, wink and nod, and they'll do it on their own volition. The states need to stand up. We're going to pay the fine. But on the other hand, we're going to find you even more if you if you implement it. We're going to have a uh, you know workplace injury liability. You'll be on the hook for that. And you force their hand. You force the issue. Obviously, a sane Republican Party would filibuster the the budget deadline coming up. Make a national fight over that. I mean, if you can't make a national fight over the most illogical, immoral thing and use that as a platform to talk about all the people getting injured. But no, the reality is Republicans agree with this. See, think about it. Which Republicans going to stand up with Ron DeSantis? You have Jim Justice, the West Virginia governor. I just wrote about this. Unbelievable. The guy gets three shots like an animal, gets COVID. They put out a press release saying he's extremely unwell. They call it moderate COVID, which already not, you know, everyone's saying they have mild. He says, oh, I have a moderate. I don't know if that means he has Delta. He's kind of a big guy. He's 70. You know, he's vulnerable. So I don't know if that means he was getting a little bit of pulmonary or whatever, but he got three shots. So that's right. You know, until now they're like, oh, I got it mildly, even though if it's Omicron, everyone's getting it mildly, but it's the shots that did it. But this guy, they admit he was in trouble a little bit. It was pretty bad. What type of vaccine do you use that's called a vaccine that you get three shots of it and you still get it that bad? And then he goes, of course, for the monoclonal antibody treatment. And he says that the antibodies are working now and he feels 100% better. So you'd expect the next sentence in his, in his uh, press release to be, so therefore, now that we realize, personally, I see this, the shots don't work. I had three of them. Three of them. Rather than promoting the shots, we're going to ban them. They're dangerous. And we're going to put all that into the monoclonals and explore other treatment, ivermectin. No. Instead, he's like, you better get the shots. It would have been worse without the shots. I kid you not. This is what, this is the mental illness. The, the Maryland governor did the same thing after three shots and relying on the monoclonals, clamps down on the supply of them. And then rather than sending out the monoclonal treatments to the nursing homes to do what the, the Florida governor is doing to give them prophylaxis, he's giving out remdesivir now, outpatient. It's un unbelievable. Facts don't matter. Facts don't matter. 70 studies on ivermectin. The only... One that has a study going into detail about 20 mechanisms of action. Not a single other therapeutic is purported to do that. The new study of prophylaxis of 223,000 sample size in an entire city of Brazil. Nothing like this has been conducted on anything, including the shots. And yet that's not good enough. But remdesivir, that the only the WHO trials had negative efficacy, 
University of Iowa published in JAMA, negative efficacy. Not a single doctor could tell you it's working in the hospital. Causes kidney failure. Had to be pulled from the Ebola trial because it was causing too much kidney failure. Hands it out like candy. We have no justice in this country. We have no rule of law. You know, I'm just dealing with a case. Some of you might have seen in the media, Mercy Hospital in Buffalo, um, Minnesota. This family, the Quinner family, um, I was just texting with Ann, the wife, before the show. I, I, I'm trying to facilitate a transfer to Dr. Verone's hospital in Houston, the only hospital that's properly treating people in the country. Because you have a good doctor that actually runs the hospital, not just works there. And they're, they were literally trying to pull out the plug on the ventilator. Even though the guy has no other organ damage, he's responding to her... To, you know, has full color, bodily integrity, you know, because a lot of people, when they, when you know they're kind of a goner on a ventilator, they start getting sores and their skin just literally falls apart. This guy actually does have color in his skin. He looks pretty good. Um, so it's, de- I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. He's been on a ventilator for two months, but it's not like there's no hope. It's not worth, worth trying. Um, and they were going to pull the plug. They're not cooperating with the transfer. I mean, the stuff that is going on and, and again, this is also why I mentioned it's so important for states to get up there and tell hospitals, you cannot discriminate on the employment level based on the vaccination status. Because in general, you got to stop this culture that even though they're not blatantly saying they're discriminating against um, patients that aren't vaccinated, vaccinated, they really are. This is sick what is going on. Facts don't matter anymore. They could just say we're going to cover your mouth we're going to inject in, in, in your body it doesn't matter how harmful it doesn't matter how much negative efficacy it has you know i wanted to show you this just to illustrate the lies about the numbers in the hospitals again at at a, at a case rate it's 100% that you are twice as likely to get and spread covid if you have the shots what about critical care you know hospitalizations so first off you know, if it's Omicron, it's not even a problem anymore. But this guy, uh, Joel Smalley, S-M-A-L-L-E-Y, he has a substack, Challenge the Narrative, about Alberta. The point is, this is true of everything, every place. But he, he proves this from Alberta, gives you a glimpse into this. Um, he's an independent researcher in the UK. He's, he's had his name on some pre-printed studies with um, some folks at uh, Queen Anne uh, University. Uh, uh, Queen Mary, I'm sorry, Queen Mary University. Um, here's what he writes. Those who have done the slightest bit of research will know that there is no claim of protection after the first dose of the COVID vaccine. So imagine you can conflate the vaccine effectiveness stats if you dump all the COVID events cases, hospitalizations, and deaths that occur subsequent to infection within 14 days of the first dose into the unvaccinated pile. Well, we, we, now we know for sure from the data published by the government of Alberta. Like everywhere else in the world, they claim very impressive vaccine effectiveness by following the fraudulent standards set by the drug manufacturers in the uh, clinical trials to ignore the adverse outcomes in the first two weeks post-administration. But they go... They do one better and actually inflate the unvaccinated numbers too. And this is on top of dumping the events within 14 days of dose two in the partially vaccinated as well, of course. 
almost half of all COVID hospitalizations of the newly vaccinated occurred within 14 days. Think about that. Almost half of all COVID hospitalizations of the newly vaccinated occurs within 14 days, which means that all of those events are included in the unvaccinated statistics. Fortunately, they inadvertently let us in on the magnitude of this duplicity by also publishing the time from dose to infection for each of the events, thereby allowing us to recalculate just how many events in the first 14 days were shifted from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated report. Not only that, but almost 80% occurred within 45 days of the shot. In terms of deaths, the duplicity is even more severe with almost 56% of deaths of the newly vaccinated occurring within 14 days and 90% within 45 days. So that's the thing. It's not just like, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a small footnote. Most of the problems with the vaccinated come within the, that window. And that entire window is dumped into the data of the unvaccinated. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So, um, so this is where we are. Really good compilation of the data there. And that's the fraud. That is the key fraud. I mean, this is why you see everywhere in, and, and, and even there they manipulate the data. But in the UK and Scotland, Scotland now, you actually have higher, um, not just, you know, the entire year, the majority of the hospitalizations have been vaccinated. But now it's higher even than their share of the population. The hospitalization rate is higher in Scotland among the vaccinated. And now, now that what they're doing is they're just shifting the accounting, they're doing to the double vaccinated what they did to the unvaccinated, and they're making them even worse in order to make the triple vaccinated better by dumping you know, all the stats of within 14 days of the third shot into the two shots. So that's why right, right now the unvaccinated are looking so much better because the lie is coming out, except it's just being shifted one level over. But again, the point is, where are our people? Could you imagine if every Republican governor got together in one event and held a press conference and said, this is what we're doing in our states? And they blew it wide open. They went through the facts. But we don't, we don't have this. It doesn't matter. It literally, they could spread the virus more with the mask, spread it more with the shots, kill more people, both from the side effects and COVID, make COVID even worse. And then again, we forget the fact pattern that when you vaccinate in middle of a pandemic with a non-sterilizing leaky vaccine that doesn't stop transmission, it makes it worse. These are basic facts. How hard is it for someone to get up there and, and do this? Imagine if we had 20 other Republican governors like the Florida governor. Oh, we won everything except for, except for health care. That's a huge deal. And again, like I'm telling you, it's still going to reverberate the blue states are going to do it. Well, Daniel, I'll go to a red state. No, but then the feds, they have their reach into the military. They have it into healthcare, And they'll get it into other industries too. Especially the big companies. So if we're going to be in a situation where blue states are Nazi Germany, then yeah, you better believe I want the red states to be fully free. But the Republican governors love the courts. They love relying on that. Ultimately, it boils down to us. 
James Wilson said this October 28, 1787. So right after they um, signed the Constitution, it went out to the states for ratification. James Wilson was the driving force at the Pennsylvania Convention on the side of the Constitution for the Federalists. He said, The leading principle in the politics and that which pervades the American Constitution is that the, that the supreme power resides in the people. Right? Not the, notice, not the courts. This Constitution, Mr. President, opens with a solemn and practical recogni- recognition of that principle. We, the people of the United States, in, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, and ordain and establish the Constitution of the United States of America. It is announced in their name. It receives its political existence from their authority. They ordain and establish. What is the necessary consequence? Those who ordain and establish have the power, if they think proper, to repeal and annul. A proper attention to this principle may perhaps give ease to the minds of some who have heard much concerning the necessity of a Bill of Rights. He wasn't worried about a Bill of Rights because he was like, look, if they would start doing insane things, we don't need to say, oh, we need it in the in the, in the the text of the Constitution. I mean, now I think we need to put it in there in the, in the states. And that's another action item. But, oh, they can't rape your body. They can't gag you, you know, your mouth and nose. Like, no, of course they can. If they would do that, the people would rise up. The bottom line is we don't have a shred of legitimacy to this government anymore. Up is down, down is up. A dangerous shot is forced upon people and life-saving treatment is blocked. We have discrimination against people for for race and and identity when there is no discrimination and they want to do insane things and you and you just like, you know, don't countenance it and you're slapped with discrimination yet they could deny care, uh, fire you for not injecting something in your body that wouldn't even affect the other guy anyway and likely if you do, you're going to wind up spreading the virus more. You can't live in a country where there's one rule of law and that is we win you lose. Whatever our political view is, that's, that's the law. You can't live that way. There is no solution beyond national divorce. None. And with that, I, I want to transition. You know, hopefully we'll be able to get a special guest on the line. But I want to transition into the racial problems we're having now. You know, we're, we're seeing it both among police and civilians. That if you get into an altercation with someone who's black... The facts, just like with COVID, the fact of the situation doesn't matter. What matters is he's black, you're white. Your life is destroyed. He could be the worst criminal at fault. It doesn't matter. Just like with COVID, where what matters is we want to control your life, mask, vaccine. It could make it worse. (laughs) The vaccine could be the culprit to, to the spread. It doesn't matter. I want to read an article, very well done, from my friend Pedro Gonzalez. Republicans give left-wing prosecutors a pass, indict conservatives instead. This is from, where is this? From the Daily Caller. Talks about different people being railroaded. And he talks about the Arbery case, Ahmed Arbery. You might have heard... You know, they were going nuts. Oh, my gosh. Like, if you didn't know anything, you would think a bunch of Nazi skinheads got together and, like, just beat up and killed a black guy for nothing. Right? You know, like these old stories you used to hear in the South decades ago when when that stuff actually did happen. 
And, you know, they gave these people life without parole. Now, I don't know all the details. I didn't follow it closely enough. You know, but clearly that's not what happened. And clearly they would not have been given life without parole had the guy not been black. Okay? And we have all sorts of other cases where it legitimately is racially motivated, very clearly, black on white, and, you know, nothing happens to them. But basically, um, Arbery had been wandering through a house under construction in Satilla Shores, about two miles from his home in February 2020, when the McMichaels and a neighbor, William Bryan, thought he committed a burglary. The owner claimed that things had been previously stolen from the property, installed cameras, and allowed a neighbor to perform neighborhood watch there. Arbery had been seen at the location on five different occasions um, over the preceding few months. Um, Just before Arbery was shot, Travis saw him at the house, called the police, and accompanied Greg there to confront Arbery. A police officer later testified he planned to give Arbery a trespassing warning. At the time, Arbery was on probation for attempted uh, shoplifting, and that probation had been extended from an incident in which he tried to bring a pistol into a high school uh, basketball game and then fled from police. So again, they always have criminal records, and the reason why this is important is because because we don't have a deterrent, particularly if you're black, you could you could do whatever the hell crime you want. What happens is you're going to have more altercations with criminals who happen to be black. And then, and then you're going to have unfortunate situations arise from there, even if it's not like someone's like, hey, I'm just going to kill a guy because he's black. No, you're going to have – this is the whole Kim Potter business, by the way. You know, this um, Minnesota cop that her life is destroyed, char- uh, convicted of murder, and it was very clear. You see the human reaction. Everyone knows the facts are very clear what happened there. The guy was a vicious criminal. He has so many – you know, there's civil cases for murder against, against the punk – um, and, and he was running away from police. He steps on the gas pedal. So she reacts and, and it was, it's a rare example. No one disputes the fact that it clearly, she didn't mean to shoot him. She meant to get the taser and she got the gun and, and, and shot him and, and, and wound up killing him. You know, you would have a civil case against the police, but to criminally convict of murder that would have, everyone knows had the races been reversed with the same fact pattern that would have never happened. And that's disgusting. Because we need equality under the law. You can't live in a society like that. Everyone knows that. Did she do something wrong? Yes, but in but in a in a very rare, nuanced way. I mean, it, it was just it was a reaction. But again, it was triggered. The fact that the guy is a criminal does matter because they they induce situations like this. Normal people wouldn't have gotten themselves into that situation because they'll they'll cooperate with the police. Anyway, back to Arbery. According to the court papers presented by lawyers for the uh, McMichaels, he had previously used running or jogging as a cover to commit crimes. This guy was a big problem in the neighborhood. Of course, the justice system doesn't do anything with the guy. Burglary has already made the neighborhood on edge. Police don't do anything. Um, Police records obtained by Fox 5 shows a resident reported rifles stolen from their unlocked car recently. Travis McMichael filed a report of a firearm stolen from his truck. So that's what was going on there. 
right? The reason why this is important is because even if you think they made a mistake, these guys afterwards chasing after him, it wasn't like they woke up one day and said, let's go uh, kill a black guy. It's very clear a fact pattern what was going on there. A neighbor who thought he recognized Arbery from surveillance footage saw him in the building, called police, which may have caused Arbery to run. McMichael saw him, grabbed their guns, and pursued, thinking he was a burglar, while an unarmed Brian recorded the incident from a different vehicle. Footage shows that the McMichaels catching up with Arbery in a truck, trying to talk to him. Rather than fleeing or stopping, Arbery charged toward and grabbed the vehicle to confront Travis who initially said he fired once after Arbery grabbed a shotgun. He shot twice more in the video as Arbery repeatedly punched him and tried to take the gun before succumbing to his wounds. During the trial, judge ruled that Arbery's criminal record could not be admitted as evidence. On January 7th, all three men were sentenced to life in prison. The McMichaels received life without possible parole. Brian, who was unarmed, is eligible for parole after 30 years for simply filming the incident from a short distance. Okay, the fact pattern is very clear here. Even if you think they shouldn't have pursued him and, and and it was a wrongful death. But, you know, it was self-defense. Once it was, it was self-defense. And you look at the whole fact pattern. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about the Arbery case. I literally, I didn't know anything. I literally thought like three skinheads decided to like skin a guy or something because he's black. It's such crap. We There's no justice in this country. It's disgusting. It's utterly disgusting. This whole thing is horrible. But then, there's another case. Frederick Franklin. um, This is a prosecutor out in Nebraska. Indeed, Franklin is currently being sued by the family of of Jake Gardner. They claim his biased prosecution pushed Gardner to commit suicide. Amid uh, 2020's riots, Gardner, a Marine veteran and business owner, watched agitators smash the windows of his bar. Before engaging them, Gardner waited half an hour for police to arrive. They never came. BLM protesters damaged a dozen businesses and police cruisers and injured two officers and one civilian the night before. Footage of that... Knight shows Gardner calmly talking and even sympathizing with protesters outside his wrecked business. At one point, an agitator knocked his father to the ground. The crowd grew increasingly aggressive with Gardner, even as he tried to de-escalate and retreat, and retreat from the situation. He displayed a pistol, a pistol tucked into his waistband while walking backwards and warning people to leave him alone. Gardner pulled out, um, pulled out the pistol and kept it by his side. Then a woman tackled him to the ground from behind as another man tried to join the dog pile. It's all on video. Gardner fired two warning shots and tried to stand. Sir Locke tackled Gardner and reportedly put him in a chokehold. The Marine fired a single round over his shoulder after repeatedly warning Scurlock, fatally wounding him. So cut and dry was the shooting a case of self-defense that Douglas County Attorney Don Klain, a Democrat, initially declined to file charges against Gardner. But pressure from BLM grew. Donald Klain, the, the... County attorney who initially declined to press charges against Skurlock's killer ceded to public outrage. Um, and, you know, basically, Franklin used Gardner's veteran status to portray him as a cold-blooded killer, suggested that he, you know, he's a Trump guy. So disturbed was Gardner by the trial and the death threats it brought against his family 
that he committed suicide on the day before he was expected to turn himself in. So now the Gardner family is, you know, um, unleashing a lawsuit against Franklin. They've implored the Republican governor, Pete Ricketts, to intervene and request that the grand jury transcripts be unsealed. Um, and, you know, this is what we have in Nebraska. We have a dirtbag prosecutor going after him. It's a very terrific article, Pedro Gonzalez. Republicans give left-wing prosecutors a pass, indict conservatives instead. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what you do, but I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying is we're in a society now where facts don't matter, rights don't matter, due process doesn't matter. The one thing that matters is their political agenda, and there's no evidence of Republicans anywhere helping the fight. Instead, they, they pile on. The reality is, and I think we all know know this, we do have systemic racism in this country. It's systemic in law. It's systemic in every aspect of policy and politics where, so, where blacks are favored over whites. And this has been going on for many years, by the way, but it's, it's reached a feverish pitch. It's disgusting. Facts of a situation don't matter. It's a blood libel, just like unvaccinated are accused of creating... Um, and, and inducing a pandemic that's induced by the very people that are making those allegations. You have this blood libel that somehow there's racism and whites are responsible for everything, when in fact, if you want to break it down to individuals, for every one white against black racially motivated crime, there's about 50 million the other way around. And again, I mean, we're, we, we judge, we're for judging everyone as an individual and judging the fact pattern of every case. It shouldn't matter. You know, it's not like a broad thing. Blacks generally do this. Whites do this. There's no such thing as blacks and whites. It's what the hell happened in that case. But, I mean, this is happening everywhere. Lie after lie after lie. The Kyle Rittenhouse thing, you know, that had a good ending. But guess what? Not everything does have a good ending, and usually it doesn't. And we have another case that's teetering in terms of its outcome. And I want to get to that with the wife of the victim of, of this uh, racial lynch mob to discuss the fact patterns here and end off the week with this special guest. Now, you know, as an introduction to our guest, we're discussing here how basically people's lives are being destroyed, their jobs are being destroyed for not getting a shot. So we have that lack of justice, upside down, Blood libel, you're spreading a virus, even though now literally the data from everywhere show that Omicron is spread more from someone who actually has the shots. So facts don't matter. But like we're saying, there's this parallel blood libel against anyone who has any altercation, whether it's civilian or police, with someone who happens to be black and their the color of their skin happens to be white. Nothing matters. From there, the facts just simply don't matter and you know like like i've noted the problem that we're going to have and especially if you're a cop in a blue state but really a civilian as well is that because of all the jailbreak policies criminal justice deform and all of the de-incarceration agendas nobody goes to jail anymore so you're gonna you know if you're a cop let's say you know 20 years ago your chances of coming across a violent loose cannon in a given 
day was X amount. Now it's exponentially higher just because they're all over the place. They're all on drugs. They don't cooperate. They're more incentivized to fight with you. And what do you do? What do you do? Your options are limited because either you get hurt, beaten, and sometimes killed, or if you just try to defend yourself um, in any way and often don't even – it's not even like you're forced to shoot the guy like in this case we're talking about. Guess what? Um, your life is destroyed. Your career is destroyed. Usually you'll be prosecuted even if you escape that. Your life is still destroyed. Um, a perfect example of this is Officer Matthew uh, Degas. Um, this is an individual, an officer in La Mesa, California, May 27th. He had an altercation uh, with a criminal. Um, I don't even know what he did to him, and and you know the guests will talk about this. I don't, I don't even think he got hurt, but he was accused of roughing up a, a criminal who happened to be black. He was fired. He was criminally charged. There was a trial uh, just a month ago. He was acquitted, but you know he still doesn't really have his job back, and there's a lot of problems here. So with us to explore um, what is going on is Christina Degas, uh, the wife of Matthew Degas, the officer. Uh, and by the way, just so you know, if you go to DonorBox, um, their page, Pipe Hitter Foundation, there is an important uh, crowdsourcing page because it, you could imagine all the legal fees and everything. They're not getting support. So please donate generously to the Pipe Hitter Foundation. Uh, Christina, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your story. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. All right, so could we just start from the beginning because I'm confused here. Um, what is the name of this individual uh, that your husband was apprehending? What are the circumstances and what happened to the guy uh, that has brought all these charges upon your husband? Yes, so the date was May 27th of 2020, so really at the height of all the social unrest that year. Um, Matthew was working a special detail with other officers in a very high crime area of La Mesa. So he became involved in a very low level use of force against a combative subject who had already assaulted Matthew, right? They had already assaulted a police officer. So, and when I say Matthew used a low level use of force, I mean, Matthew used his hands to get the combative subject back in a seated position while other officers arrived to arrest the subject for assaulting a police officer. So very minor use of force. Um, it was deemed justified by Matthew's department. But could, could you describe it a little bit more in more detail? He was attempting to get up from where he was seated and he just kind of put his hands on his shoulder. Yes. So he was detained. Uh, he tried to walk away. He assaulted a police officer. Um, so Matthew had him sit down until other officers could show up to help arrest this really combative person. So while Matthew was waiting just those very few seconds, the subject kept jumping up into Matthew's face, getting just inches away from his face, getting very close to his, you know, tool belt where he has all his weapons. Um, so Matthew used his hands, put his hands on the suspect's shoulders to push him down into a seated position on a bench, um, which is where he had given orders for this person to sit. Um, and then, you know, the, just a, a, a bystander video of that interaction was posted online with the hashtag George Floyd, and it went viral. And it caused this otherwise very normal law enforcement encounter to become politically charged. Um, there were riots throughout La Mesa, including at our home, and several buildings uh, burned down in the city. So social justice activists called Matthew a racist 
and they demanded that he be fired and criminally charged just for doing his job. Again, it was a justified use of force. Um, and in the city of La Mesa, you've got these liberal leaders who are terrified of the mob. So they essentially bow to the mob's demands. They make the cowardly decision to uh, use Matthew as their scapegoat and uh, try and make the mob happy, prevent future destruction to their city. So they fired and criminally charged Matthew last year, just like the woke mob demanded. And, and, and what were the charges like? Did they, he say he has bruises? I mean, what, what did they allege? Yeah, so well, they couldn't get him on use of force because his Matthew's department said his use of force is reasonable and justified. So you can kind of see how these like incompetent city leaders really tried to grasp at straws. Um, and so they charged Matthew with a felony count of falsifying a police report. They tried to say that simple observations in Matthew's police report never happened, even though other officers and witnesses who were te- who testified confirmed that these observations did happen. Um, so this is them essentially grasping at straws. It's like their Hail Mary attempt to force Matthew out so they could quiet the mob and prevent uh, future further destruction to their city. So again, it's like this video goes viral over a use of force. That's what the outrage is about. The use of force is cleared, um, but because the city burned down, all of a sudden there's an issue with this police report that is really laughable in my opinion. And you know what? A jury of 12 San Diego citizens heard all the evidence in the case and just last month, they agreed with us that this case against Matthew was ridiculous, unfounded, and it should have never gone to, to trial. But but nonetheless, you had to go through trial. What, what was it like to live through the rioting um, what what were the scenes at your house? What type of precautions did you take? Because we we talked about this a lot in 2020, what people went through, how, um, you know, it doesn't matter if you the law is on your side, but the fact is who wants their lives destroyed, their addresses outed. So right away they knew where you lived. Yep. Um, our personal information was doxed online. So we had protesters show up at our house that very same day that this incident took place. Um, there were multiple protests at our home. Um, you know, we got death threats. Uh, the protests took over the entire block of our neighborhood. Um, you know, so eventually this this online doxing or bullying um, never stopped. And it just became so relentless that we had to sell our house and move for safety reasons. So, um, you know, it, it's uh, invasive. And for me, it's really incredulous because here you have this movement, right, who claims to be about the social justice movement, claims to be about eradicating character assassination based on the color of someone's skin, eradicating violence, eradicating hate. And yet they brought those very same tactics to my front doorstep, literally all over a justified use of force. Now, do do you have children, you and your husband? No, we had just gotten married a couple months before this incident happened. So we were uh, on our honeymoon. Yeah, on our honeymoon for a month. We got back. This happened. So we literally haven't even had the chance to be newlyweds or to start a family because the, the woke mob essentially has hijacked our lives, hijacked our normalcy. And we've been fighting for uh, almost two years now. Yeah. And I, cause I want people to envision your situation and now just Im- imagine if you have kids that go through the school system there. Um, and that's a whole nother dimension of what you're going to have to deal with, um, you know, with, with uh, other kids and bullying and, and who knows what else. So you had to actually move your house, uproot your life. Um, who, going back to the facts of the case here, whose decision was it to terminate your husband? 
So that, that decision uh, lies with the city. So they are the ones who made the decision to fire and criminally charge him. So what about the chief of police or whatever you have there? Um, was he supportive or were his hands tied? How is the department itself? We have a tremendous amount of support from like the patrol officers at the department because they know that this is all just a witch hunt. Um, But just to give you an idea of kind of how the city of La Mesa is structured and many cities are structured this way is you have the city manager of La Mesa who runs the show and they kind of control the puppet strings at the police department, the chief and the captains and the lieutenants all report up to the city manager. So when you have a critical incident like what happened on May 27th, the city manager and the city council have full control over how the police department handles it. Um, And in our case, the city of La Mesa city council was very anti-cop, like incredibly anti-cop. A lot of, you know, um, social justice warrior liberals uh, served on city council at the time, and they really led this witch hunt against Matthew. So it's kind of like, you know, we have a lot of support within the police department, but at the end of the day, the city is structured in a way to where when it's politically convenient to throw a good cop under the bus just because the mob screams loud enough, cities like La Mesa can and will do that just to kind of try and prevent future destruction to their city. So, um, yeah, so that was pretty eye-opening for me as a police wife. So now where you are at this point, you know, obviously he was exonerated. You would think he would get an apology. It would be clear that they destroyed your life a year and a half Um for nothing. So I'm assuming he's been reinstated. You would think, uh, right? Because in the court of public opinion, like everyone realizes that this was a BS case and Matthew did nothing wrong. He was just doing his job. Um, But the battle is not over yet, unfortunately. So we were victorious in the criminal case last month. um, And now the next step is getting him reinstated as a police officer. Um, And this is something that should be a very simple process. But you have the city of La Mesa with an inherently biased, I guess, position against Matthew, uh, which has gone on and played out unchecked for almost two years now. Like, for example, last month when he was acquitted, the spokesperson for the city of La Mesa, her name is Perry Story, she publicly spoke out against Matthew, saying she was disappointed by the acquittal and that she has it on good authority that Matthew will not get his job back at La Mesa. So this is someone who works hand in hand with the city manager that I just told you about and the city attorney, very powerful people in the Mesa. Um, And that really demonstrates that the city is inherently against Matthew and they're really just scared of the mob and trying to keep that mob happy. So it should be he should be reinstated. It should be a very simple process. But we have a lot of pushback from these left led cities. Um, So ultimately, the reinstatement has to go before a superior court judge, and they will order the city of La Mesa to give Matthew his job back. So this next phase of our fight is fueled entirely by donations from people who proudly back the blue. As you mentioned earlier, Daniel, we've teamed up with the Pipe Hitter Foundation, which was founded by Eddie and Andrea Gallagher um, to fundraise for the exorbitant amount of money this battle has cost our family just to protect Matthew's freedom. So uh, Pipe Hitter has a, um, found, or a donation page for Matthew that you just mentioned. And to, an easy way to find that page is by going to um, Instagram or Facebook. Follow Clear Officer Degas. That's D as in David, A-G-E-S. There's a link in uh, the bio of the account that'll take you right to that donation page. Um, and look, Pipe Hitter has been a life-saving resource for our family. Uh, Police unions do not cover all of the legal fees that 
we needed uh, to, to stay in this fight. So to date, we've spent close to, I think it's approaching like $100,000 um, in out-of-pocket legal fees just to advance Matthew's cases in court. So um, visit that website if you want to learn more about our case or if you want to make a tax-deductible donation. Yes, and I would certainly encourage people to do that. That's again, D-A-G-E-S. Um, what exactly are the repercussions that you're seeing on the streets in your community from what occurred in 2020? Are the officers now saying, screw it, we're just going to avoid any confrontation, any apprehension of criminals that we can, because there's no way uh, to not get yourself in this situation if BLM could come in and make it a, a racial motivation? Yeah, so the, the repercussions are tremendous, and they're really twofold, right? So cops across the county in San Diego have seen how Matthew has been raked over the coals just for doing his job. And so what that does in the policing profession is that really basically eliminates proactive policing, right? So cops are not going out there to prevent crime because it's just not worth them putting their lives and their freedom and their livelihoods on the line when we have this, you know, these woke progressive politicians who will very easily, um, you know, target you just for doing your job. So you have kind of like the end of proactivity in San Diego. And then also you have criminal behavior really being emboldened in San Diego because criminals know there's no repercussions for their actions. Uh, right. Like I said, cops are not out preventing crime. So um, as a result, and I think the ultimate tragedy of, of our case is that crime in San Diego has skyrocketed, like violent crimes, like homicides, gang shootings. Um, and so, you know, at the end of the day, it's public safety. It's the communities, it's the families who really fall victim to what's happening um, in San Diego. You, you know, what's interesting. Um, I, I've had this debate with friends of mine who are libertarians and they're like, well, I don't like, you know, the militarization of the police and, you know, this and that, what they're doing. And, and an interesting argument I've heard over the years is, um, when you have a lot of these situations come up and the guy kind of runs or the guy maybe fights and he winds up dead, they have to shoot the guy. And they always say, well, man, you know, why do they have to like, you know, just shoot at the first sign of trouble, get nervous? They should be trained. Basically what he was saying, and I've heard this a lot before, is that they should all be like Chuck Norris. But what what your story demonstrates is that um, – even if you said, look, you know, I'm not going to even use force. I'm not going to pull out my gun. And in this case, you know, he didn't do the Chuck Norris. He just literally just kind of held him down a little bit. Um, you're going to get in trouble no matter what. Uh, this this was the lesson early on. Uh, you're speaking to, to me live here from Baltimore, Maryland. And what we had with the Freddie Gray case is that they were punished for something they didn't do. They didn't buckle in the guy, which wasn't a procedure. And the guy self-immolated and just, you know, it was a freak accident, banged his head into the into the into a latch on the police cruiser. And in, and indeed, uh, like most cases, he was on drugs. He was on drugs. Mm -hmm. So there's no sense of what they're going to do. They get more emboldened to fight. So it's almost like an impossible situation where I tell people, how are you going to go and apprehend a guy in a way that you don't get hurt, he doesn't get hurt, um, but he's on drugs and he's fighting? I mean, that that threat, that needle is very hard to thread, isn't it? It is. And I, what the other trend I see playing out that's really troubling to me as a police wife is there is this hyper scrutiny on police, their tactics. But we don't, we're not having a conversation around accountability for the people that they're interacting with, right? Like take Matthew's case, for example, you know, he was working a very special detail. It should have been a very 
quick interaction with this person, right? Like they give your name, date of birth. If you have no outstanding warrants, this person is free to go. Um, but because this person was combative, because they were not listening to demands, because they tried to walk away, because they assaulted a police officer, that's what escalated the situation unnecessarily to require use of force, right? But no one's having a conversation around that person's conduct. It's this microscope over like, the police. And we see that there's just this lack of accountability. Um, and instead, we're just kind of demonizing police. Did uh, this individual have a criminal record? So at the time, not that I'm aware of, however, it's worth uh, stating that just a few weeks. So, you know, he assaults, a poli- he assaults Matthew and then the city of La Mesa um, drops those charges against him for reasons that we can all easily guess. Right. They thought it was going to keep the mob off their back. But what's interesting is just a few weeks after this subject assaulted a police officer, he led San Diego police on a dangerous felony pursuit. Uh, You know, he was weaving in and out of cars. He crashed his car twice. He totaled it. He bailed on foot. Right. But he was not charged for that crime either. And it's like, what precedent are we setting in San Diego where someone can resist police, assault police, endanger the public, and we're not going to hold them accountable? So what I'm seeing with this person is a pattern of resistive, dangerous criminal behavior um, that's, you know, not being held to answer here in San Diego. It's a vicious cycle. I mean, this is like I said, this is what we're going to see. The more you do that, the less you have a deterrent, the more of these type of criminals are on the streets. I mean, this is what I was just saying about the Kim Potter case um, in in Minnesota. You know, everyone's like, what What a shame that, you know, and they're clearly, you know, she made a mistake and everyone saw it was a human reaction. She knows she made a mistake. But the point is, the criminal record does matter because normal people don't floor, floor the gas pedal and run away. But now you have so many more of these people out on the streets and also they're emboldened to do that. So you're going to create more of a stressful environment and more avenues to make a mistake. In your case, uh, the case of your husband, there wasn't even a mistake made. Um, so this is certainly very, very dangerous, which leads me to my final question. Um, a lot of people listening here are going to say, look, you know, we sympathize with you. Um, they'd like to donate. Uh, again, they could go to the Piper Hitter Foundation on Donor Box. But why don't you get the heck out of California? <laughs> we get that question a lot. I think right now the focus is just getting Matthew reinstated as a police officer, right? Because cops or cop families listening to this will know like your status at an agency as a police officer matters. You can't just lateral to another agency if your status is terminated. So right now the focus is getting that status to be reinstated. Um, And then at that point, we'll have a conversation about where we can go next that's safe for our family. Because as we've learned the hard way, California is probably the worst state to be a police officer in. It's dangerous for not only the cops, but it's dangerous for the police families as well. Um, so we, we're, we're definitely, uh, you know, having conversations around like where's going to be the safest next place for him to be a police officer for our family. Um, you know, I just thought of one other thing. And, and as, a, as a police uh, wife, I, I do want to get your take on this. How does it make you feel when you see at a time of just pure anarchy? I mean, if you're the right ilk and the right cause, you could do whatever the heck you want. Uh, You can assault police officers. But at the same time, you're seeing places like in New York City, NYPD doing undercover stings to make sure restaurants are asking, show me your papers, please, that the police are being used for that. As if the job wasn't already hard enough, right? Now they're trying to use police as pawns for a political agenda. Um, I think it's atrocious. I think that it already takes so much bravery and courage to put the badge on, to go out and be on the front lines of the, you know, crises in our communities. And now you want to use them for, you know, these menial 
enforcement tactics that really don't matter. Um, I think we've got a lot of stuff upside down in America, and I'm hoping that we're turning a corner as a country um, where we're going to empower police to actually go out there, do their jobs, keep the community safe, focus on the crimes that actually matter. Um, and, you know, let's stop demonizing our police. I think collectively as Americans, we're just fed up. We've had enough. We need to let these brave men and women go out there and do their jobs. Well, well said, Christina. Uh, thanks for giving us uh, this update. Definitely keep us abreast as to, you know, how the civil suit goes. Um, you're welcome back anytime. And again, people could donate to uh, the Pipe Hitter Foundation at, at DonorBox. Put in Matthew Degas. Uh, Christina, good luck. God bless you. We'll be p- praying for you. And uh, we hope to hear good news. Thank you so much, Daniel. Well, folks, I mean, this is why I believe certainly in blue areas of abolishing the police, because if they're only going to be used for bad things and not for good things, right, they're only going to be used because because here's what's going to happen. Um, and, and we're seeing this everywhere. It's going to come back to the civilians, right, because, you know, they're not going to be proactive. So they're going to be breaking in. You're going to have a lot of these like residential issues, the burglaries, break ins. And inevitably, um, overwhelmingly, they're going to be black. And if the civilian is white, they're screwed. So they're going to pick up the slack for it. And guess who's going to be there to arrest the civilian? You got, you guessed it, the cops. So that's why I am actually for abolishing the police in blue states. They're, they're the only purpose they could serve is enforcing code fascism, enforcing unconstitutional Third Reich type of edicts, and then preventing people from engaging in the self-defense that, that the police refuse to do. So, you know, this is why I, I also strongly believe in incentivizing cops to move in. I like Ron DeSantis's idea of inviting uh, – he, he uh, highlighted a cop from New York City who moved to Florida during his State of the State address. And I think this one needs to be done everywhere uh, in all the red states. And even though we normally don't like, you know, incentivizing and having tax credits and things like that, no, you don't want it for the big businesses to bring their liberal people there, but we do need it for the political refugees because that's part of an ultimate agenda of self-separating that, that we need to do. I certainly understand why they want to get the legal stuff taken care of here before leaving. You don't want uh, you know, that on your record. Um, but, but again, folks, like, this is where we're headed. We got to go to our enclaves. We got to make them red. We got to get civilian militias in with the color of law, um, deputized by the sheriffs. I like Sheriff Lamb's program in Pinal County, Arizona. We need to expand that. And we need to stand as a vanguard to fight back against crime where we're all kind of united, the sheriff, the county officials, and the civilians. So you can't get in trouble, and the prosecutor for that matter. And this is why prosecutors' races matter so, so much. Um, and then, you know, that they should serve as a civilian force to guard against federal intrusions. Because, again, we have, we have a double-edged sword with law enforcement. That they're not being used against the bad guys, and they're being used against us. Up is down, down is up. Cop is robber, robber is cop. Um, you know, the criminals are the victims, the victims are the criminals. You cannot live harmoniously with people like that. And that is the closing message of the week. Um, again, send me your comments, questions, concerns to dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Um, I should be back up on Twitter later today, but I'll be off as I usually am on Saturday, as I always am. Um, who knows if I'll get kicked off again, so we'll see what happens. I'm still looking for a, a permanent landing page against Twitter. Uh, let me know your ideas. Hope you guys have a terrific week. Stay safe, stay informed, and stay empowered.